Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. I like to think that we've had a great number of topics discussed and profiles of great guest on this podcast. I feel like today might feel like one of those crash courses in everything health related, especially when it comes to women. In checking out Dr. Beth Westy's most recent episodes on her own, the Female Health Solution podcast, she covered self-sabotage, hysterectomies, the power of physical touch, hormones and weight loss, Dutch hormone testing, eating for your cycle, side effects and medications, especially when you're on birth control, estrogen and intermittent fasting. In fact, she is on a mission to guide women to a better understanding of their body's natural cycles and how it affects their health and weight loss, designed to take into consideration the ever-changing hormones. Dr. Bestie is also the author of The Female Fat Solution, The Female Menopause Solution, and founded the 12-Week Female Fat Solution Challenge. Her candid and informative social media posts, which I have been following and really get a kick out of, are also very much kind of showing us that she is very much just like us. She has her own health issues as well. And so her own frustration had her going right back to where she really kind of found her foundation, which was her Eastern medicine background. So we are hoping to educate and empower you through today's conversation and arm you with so much information that you can use. So I am so excited because she's joining us from Minnesota. So it's great to have Dr. Beth Westy joining us. Hi. Hi. It's nice. I know we were kind of joking. It's nice to actually, well, in person because I'm actually looking at you now through a screen, but I've been following a lot of your posts and I I love it. You've got so much information to share and you are very vulnerable. You kind of have fun with topics and you share. You share a lot. I do. I share a lot. Yes. Thank you. Well, and uh, thank you for having me on. This is is super fun. I love doing these. You know, and congratulations on yours. It was interesting because as soon as we started talking, I'm like, oh, you sound so good. Do you like having your own podcast? Like, has it been a fun thing for you to be able to share your information that way? Um, sure. Sh- yes, sure. What's funny is that I'm just like a, a talker. I've, I've, uh, you know, and, and, and I have, you know, a couple of books out and I'm just not as good at writing as I am at talking and explaining things. I wish I was actually more fluid in, in writing, but it just doesn't happen. So sometimes when I'm talking or when I do a podcast, it just comes out because it's like, oh, this person asked me this question. I just, I have to answer it, you know, oh, just got to. Say it. I don't know. <laughs> so you, well, so you do it that way. And oftentimes, sometimes the conversation is the best way to get that information out. So you've done an yeah. enormous amount of it. And I and I listed it in the intro, like all of the different topics that I saw in the last, even in the last couple of months of, of the podcast that you had. Where did the foundation for you, where did medicine wanting to get involved in this side of things really stem from? Ooh, yes. Okay. So my story in getting started with this, it most people are you know, oh, I come from a place of service and I want to help people and blah, 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 which is absolutely right. Like totally. That's why I went into health in the first place. Um, That's what I was interested in, you know, high school, college. I knew I wanted to be a physician of some kind. Great. Um, 
and I got into chiropractic care because I, I actually went to massage therapy school, started chiropractic uh, school because I loved working with my hands, loved the natural health stuff. The more I learned about alternative medicine, the more I got into it because I was raised in a very Western medicine household, you know. You got an ache, you got a pain, here, take this, you know, take a pop a pill anytime you need something. And just learning different natural ways to work with the body was fascinating to me. And then I got into Eastern medicine while I was also in grad school. So um, got certified in acupuncture, Eastern medicine, and then started looking at health for women specifically and how that was the thing that was amazing. I was like, this is so weird. They, they look at the female body differently. They really take these things into account. When you go to an acupuncturist, they'll ask you where you're at in your hormonal cycle and take that information and apply it to whatever they're treating you. I was like, that's astounding. I've never had anybody talk to me about this before. So just super fascinated with it. And then um, where I really got going with it was I I have three kids. So I had my first two kids in grad school, graduated, bought a clinic, started a practice. Oh my God. Had my third. I'm sorry. I (laughs) right off the top right there, I'm like, you had two kids while still doing grad school. Yeah. And then okay, so multitasking. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. That wasn't that wasn't a fun time in my life, right? And um you know, I don't know. I think you know, I got pregnant again. I think it was my mom who said something to me. She's like, aren't you going to be a doctor? Don't you know how this works? Like, can't you? I was like, mom, oh my God, I know. Thank you, whatever. But yeah, that was, it was a really tough, it was really, really tough. You know, started a clinic, got pregnant again. Uh, my third, she was actually a preemie. So uh, she was about two months early. So oh, I had wow. a, a preemie, a two-year-old, a four-year-old, a brand new business that was not doing well. And really, you know, just kind of struggling at life, right? You know All what? the life I appreciate you telling us that the business was not doing well, because had you told me that you had a premium two of four and your business was thriving, you know, it, you know, I think most of us would have been just like, I'm done with this one. I don't know. I can't figure yeah, her out. Yeah. So at least there was something it, there was something that as you were juggling, it was falling to the ground. I feel better oh, now. Totally. Totally. Well, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. We didn't learn a lot about business in grad school. We learned about how to, you know, how to heal people. people. Yeah. So that was a huge learning curve. Um, You know, I was at one point with my business, I was about three weeks away from closing my doors because it was that bad. So I so that was also a really fun part, you know, oh, convince my husband to keep paying for the nanny while I go to work all day and bring home zero dollars. That's good. I mean, I wasn't even breaking even. Um, So it was it was just it was really, really tough. It was I wasn't sleeping. I was doing everything I could to try and take care of myself. But it was just a really very stressful point in my life. And after I had had my third, I think she was maybe a few months old when I got my first ovarian cyst and it was horrific. Like, and then from there on out for the next year and a half, it was over a year and a half. I got cysts every single month and a cyst that would grow so big and so fast that it would burst. And for those, for those women out there that have had PCOS or had ovarian cysts that burst, there's almost no other pain like it. Like it drops you to the floor. You can't, you just, it takes you out for a few moments, like out of life. I I can't imagine. Okay. And this was happening every month. Yeah. Every month, every month this was happening. This was for over a year and a half. And at the same time, I'm trying to, you know, keep small humans alive, keep my business from going under her, all of these things. And it just kept, you know, snowballing and snowballing. And I 
really tried to do all these healthy things, right? All my friends are natural healthcare practitioners, either naturopaths, acupuncturists, you know, all the chiropractors. I'm doing all these things. I was eating the cleanest diet ever. I was on like 35 different supplements. I was taking a basket of supplements every day, just a ton of them. And every month I would still have cysts and still have cysts. And it wasn't until um, at one point my husband got so worried because uh, doctors really are the worst patients ever. That I was like, it'll be fine. It'll go away. I'll just, you know, just suck it up. It out. Yeah, right. Dumb. So just terrible. But he brought me into the ER because I, I couldn't function. He put me in the car, brought me to the ER, and the ER, ER doc was like, yeah, it's a cyst. I was like, I know. I just, it's bad. And he was like, well, here's your birth control and here's your Vicodin. And I was like, so that's it. I was like, I, you know, my husband's had a vasectomy where our family is complete. We don't need, I don't need that for anything. And I was like, I, I don't like Vicodin. I don't feel it on it. Really spacey. I can't spend my life like that. He goes, well, that's, that's what I've got for you. Otherwise you're just going to have this happen again and again. And your hormones are completely out of whack. And, and there you go. I was like, so that's it. He's like, yeah, that's it. I was like, well, I'm, I'm doing all these things with my diet. I'm taking all these supplements. He didn't even want to hear it. It just was, he was completely dismissive of anything I was trying. He was like, yeah, no, that's going to work. It's not going to work. You're always going to have problems. And that was it. And I remember leaving there just furious, just so irritated that I couldn't, you know, I was like, okay, he didn't even listen to me. He didn't understand what was going on. He didn't notice that I was trying to do things on my own to help with this. And now to be told that the only options for me are birth control and Vicodin for the rest of my life. What? I was like, this is ridiculous. Women all over the world must be, you know, worried about things like this. And I'm not going to let this happen. And I'm going to figure this out. So it's like, it's like pure rage, I think that. (laughs) Almost, almost like the the birth of a politician, right? You see the wrong and it's like, I'm going to fix this. But it's interesting because you had the knowledge. It wasn't like you were going in not empowered with knowing or understanding your body or what was happening or as he's prescribing you these medications that you're going, listen, I'm aware of the side effects of these medications and I, there's no need yeah. to be able to be putting this into my system when I don't need to be. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I wasn't, you know, I was like, I, d- I don't want any of these things and I'm not like trying to be rude about it, but that's, I mean, he was just like, here you go. I was like, listen, I'm probably not going to fill that prescription for Vicodin. You can just keep it. Like, he's like, well, if you don't want my help, I was like, well, that's not it. I came here for help. I just, that's, you know, I, yeah, it's just not, a, it's not a life, you know? So, so what was it then? I mean, you're, you're coming back from the hospital, you're not feeling any better, you're still, I would think, in, in excruciating pain. So where was the trigger? Yeah. What was the light, you know, the light switch for you to say that someone's got to figure this out? Yeah, so I literally was like, okay, there has to be something else out there. There has to be something that, um, that people are doing more naturally that I just haven't found yet. I, I, need, I need to look at this. So I started looking more into research on women's health worldwide, what other people do in different countries. I started diving down into these rabbit holes. And what I found was really fascinating because as I look at, you know, my Eastern medicine background, and then I actually went through and did additional training for women for fertility, hormone issues, cycle issues, things like that. And I was like, this is it. This is where we're missing the boat completely. Our bodies change 
every week throughout the month. We have a different body. You know, your your hormones are different week one versus week three. And it's not fair to expect the same thing out of your system. And then if your hormones get, you know, out of whack or if they're imbalanced or if you have a buildup of hormone from having kids, having stress, being on the pill, whatever it may be, that there's no real good way to help reset your hormones and then support your system through a regular hormonal cycle because that's not something that we do here. So it was just all of that kind of fuel of finding these other things. I started looking at what was out there for women and put together and took this other training that I went through. And I was like, okay, I can set up something for women and their hormones and everything. And then I started researching about how women are seen in the medical community. And that's what really got me even more furious. You know, they, they consider, um, you know, a, a female body, just a smaller version of a male's body, even in the, the pharmaceutical industry, they, it wasn't even until 1993 that women were allowed to be part of pharmaceutical studies. What? So, yeah. Yep. So, I was, I was yeah, like, 1993? Like, I thought you were going to kind of go to like 1903. Yeah. No. 93. This is absolute truth. You can, you can Google it. There, is, um, there was a law that passed in 93 that allowed women to even be a part of studies. So before that, women were not allowed to be a part of any pharmaceutical studies. Think so about all of the medication, medication, everything that was being done was only being tested on men? On men, on men that were 140 pounds. A 140-pound male was considered equivalent to a female. Yeah. Okay. My, yeah. my jaw is like, I'm like bringing it yeah. back. I had You're, no yeah. clue. See, this is where I was like enraged at 2 a.m. screaming at my computer. And then, you know, what? This is insane. How did this happen? Why didn't I know this? Why is this? Yes. Yes. So, and then once women were even allowed to be a part of studies, and this is still true today, that women don't even make up 50% of studies. It's very rare that they have, you know, there'll be like a small percentage, 10%, which if you know anything about collecting data and making research and all these other things, you can take a little bit of that data and say, oh, look, that's an outlier. We'll just kick that out of the, you know, final results. Okay, well, I'm, I'm looking okay. at this and I'm thinking for a lot of the different medications that were out there, when you look at women's health, I mean, and you look at mm-hmm. heart health, like heart disease is the number one killer of women. And it yet is. they're not of equal testing of the medications that are being provided or how different it would be knowing that it's that much that it's doing that much damage for women it's it's not the same it's yeah there's it's very recent within the past five or you know five or so years that women's heart health has been taken more seriously in and of itself because that is so Mm -hmm. true um there's some heart health hospitals for women now they talk more about that differently but women you know they miss the symptoms of heart attacks because they're thinking it's, oh, I just don't feel good. I got a flu. I got a little bit of neck pain, whatever. They don't realize they're having a heart attack because the mechanism of heart attack in women is so different than it is in men. Um, So absolutely right on that. But yeah, all these medications and everything and for decades have all been tested mainly on men. And think about the the, like birth control that was created in in the 60s, 70s, 80s. All of those medications were tested exclusively on. I can't. I can't. Yeah. I can't think this through. That yeah. that as birth control was being created, that yeah. it was being tested on men. Okay, that just yeah. blew my mind right there. Yeah. Yeah. So you're looking through all of this. Yeah. You know, 
<laughs> okay, you're enraged. yelling. And yeah, you're getting enraged. You're, you know, yelling at your computer. So where in this does the shift then happen for you? I mean, like you, you're, you have your own struggles as it is personally, mother, business, everything that's going on that you're putting this effort into kind of researching and, and figuring out your own patterns and, and understanding it more to be able to launch into this side of the medicine that you wanted to do. Yes. Yes. So in learning all this stuff, I realized like I, it totally had me, uh, let me be able to take a different viewpoint on how we view our health, our healthcare system, how we feed ourselves, how we, you know, fuel ourselves, exercise, all these other things. And I was like, this is why there's so many women struggling. This is why there's so much, you know, um, illness, dysfunction, everything around our bodies because we're not being supported. Everything, when you look at Eastern medicine or Ayurveda, it's all about supporting the female body in where it's at. And so going with each phase of the cycle and matching that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's it. That's, that's the key. So with all of those things, what I wanted to do was match that principle with the nutrition piece of it and really support the system as it goes through the month. Okay, so you're telling me that on week one, two, three, and four, as each week, as you're saying, I'll have different levels, different hormone levels, that mm-hmm. on a certain week, on a certain, you know, certain weeks would be better to eat this food and exercise this way, second week, third week, fourth week. You're yeah. saying that I would, I, there's actually going to be a difference between huge difference each week you know like yeah. i'm a, i'm thinking you know in the le- days leading up to when yeah. you, you know but it's not it's like each week has its own independent hormone levels how you're taking in food how you're feeling where you're at yes yeah absolutely most women get to a point by the time you get to like that week before your period starts where you're like oh your body gets nutritionally depleted you're exhausted i mean your uterus is twice the size as it was before. So you'll have different bloating, different inflammation, fluid levels, all this stuff. Women also don't realize that, you know, you're going to weigh differently throughout the month. If you, you know, again, you have more blood volume, you have a bigger uterus. It just, you should weigh more during week four than you do, than you do during week two, right? It's, it's just the natural flow of it, but women will be looking at their bodies and their systems and thinking, Oh, what's wrong with me? I weigh a pound more now than I did two weeks ago. I must be doing something wrong. I better get to the gym. I better cut out my extra snack, even though I want it and I'm having these cravings right now. I better cut that out because I'm, I weigh more. And that's exactly the opposite of what your system and your body needs at that point. Okay. Do you mind? Can you take us through then what, what week yeah. one, two, three, and four look like and yeah. what your body's actually doing, how you should be eating exercise for each of these weeks? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Let's go. Okay, so week one, day one is the first day of your period. First day you have actual heavy flow. Any spotting before that doesn't count. Um, And also, just as a disclaimer going into this, everybody can have a different timeline for their cycle. Average of 28 days. It can be longer. It can be shorter. That's totally normal for you. So you just might have to divide up the weeks. Mm -hmm. I'm making air quotes, right? Yes, okay. (laughs) A little differently. So I want to stay on this. Okay, so week yeah. one is week is, one is when you have your period. Yep. Okay. So, so week one is the start of it. Mm-hmm. Week one is the start of the actual menstrual. Like, oh, you go to the bathroom. Well, okay, we got to figure this yep. out. Okay, that's yes. week one. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So week one, that's when it starts. You can it can end at day four, day five, day seven, but you'll still be following these things throughout. 
Um, this is a point where your estrogen levels are going to, uh, are lower at the very beginning, but then start to rise, right? That's the bigger, that's the biggest key thing there. Your hormone levels are real low. So you're actually most like a male body at the beginning of this week, which is really, really interesting. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hormonally, yeah. You, Hormonally, hormonal. our bodies are are most similar to a, a male's body at the start of our cycle. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm. I feel like I sh- I can go back to science class now and be like, I got this. I know this. Okay, this is so cool for me. Okay, so I okay, so we're good. So in terms of exercise, eating, how is our body? What's it supposed to be doing? Yeah. So making sure you're getting enough hydration while you're in your cycle, you know, your blood volumes changing, all that stuff. I mean, your uterus is kind of turning inside out. A lot of stuff is happening. So hydrate really, really well for that. Um, But in terms of getting into the estrogen phase there, I recommend doing cooling foods. So this also matches basal body temperature. So having your basal body temperature drop at this point, you'll want to match that with the tone of the food and eat cooling foods. So cooling foods are going to help your system be at that lower level and help that transition happen. Okay. I'm going to, I'm, I ask questions. So what did you mean by basal? Basal body temperature. Yes. Okay. So basal body temperature, which I, you know, I wish they talked about more too. Your basal body temperature is your core body temperature that you take first thing in the morning. So you wake up before you get out of bed, before you drink water, go to the bathroom, take your temperature, write it down. And women who are tracking their fertility or their cycle will oftentimes track their cycle and when they're ovulating based right. on their basal body temperature. Okay. So that's basal what body called. temperature. Okay. Yes. So your basal body temperature should drop right when your period starts. Right right before or right when it begins, that's when it should drop. And for some women that have cycles that come early or late and they're not sure actually switching your foods over, switching over how you're supporting your body nutritionally can help your system regulate its hormones, help that temperature drop so it can bring on your period when it's supposed to. Isn't huh. that fun? Yeah. Yeah. Really fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then, in, and wait, and then in saying that you said cooling foods. Mm-hmm. So what does, what, what, what are cooling foods? So cooling foods are going to be foods like chicken, turkey, fish, Raw fruits and vegetables are more cooling. Mint is cooling. Um, cilantro, rosemary, thyme, dill, like cooling. Okay, why is it considered cooling? Like when you said turkey and chicken, I was like, yeah. how is that in the cooling side? So this is the this is the Eastern medicine side of it. This okay. is like it sounds totally weird. You're like, what? It's the it's the tone of the food, right? Where it just is. It has a cooling effect on the system. Okay, and it's yeah, and it's not warming. The other part is is warming. Okay, so these are cooling. So again, turkey, yeah. chicken, fish. Fish. Mm-hmm. You said like any mint, raw cilantro, raw fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. those are cooling foods. Yeah, great to consume in that first week of having your period. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's the food. Then the exercise. The exercise piece of it. When you're on your period, I mean, again, if you're training for something or if you have something going on, right, then sometimes you just have a schedule you have to keep to, but your body may need a little extra recovery time. That's totally normal. But otherwise, the estrogen, when that comes on and starts to rise, your system can actually build muscle faster, easier. You're going to have more energy. Your metabolism starts to kick up a little bit. So you can start to push yourself a little bit more at this point. Okay. Yeah, and then leading into week two, which yeah. is great because this is when you tell all of those 
teenage girls that try to get out of gym class because they have their oh, periods, yeah. this is the wrong week to do that. This is the best week for you to stay in gym class, you know? Yes. Yes. This is the week that we are. Yes. You know, and it's so funny because and at this point, Andy's not listening to the podcast, but, you know, she's about to be 15, but she got it about a year ago. And I my big thing was we are going to learn how to use a tampon like ASAP because you're going to learn that you need to life. Life will go on like life doesn't stop. When you you're bleeding, she's like, "Well, so and so is getting out of gym class because they keep saying that they have their period." And I'm like, "Well, no. Like, we are going to learn how to do this so that you can stay active through everything, right?" So I don't know why I just thought that, but I was thinking that sometimes people say, oh, "I have my period," and and so you stop doing things. But that's actually yeah. one of the best times to kind of increase knowing that yeah. your system is actually it's able to build muscle, do all of these things, yeah, burn off the energy yeah. better. Okay. Yeah. And and to that point too, there's a huge benefit to, you know, at least being somewhat active when you have your period in terms of, I mean, think about what your system's doing. It's like turning over a new leaf. You can help your system detoxify. You can really flush everything out. That's what your body's doing anyway. Help it out. If you just sit there totally stagnant, it makes it harder for your system to go through the process it's supposed to go through. Okay, I love this. Okay, week two. Yeah, week two. Week two. Week two, this is where estrogen is really at its peak. So it's it's really important for women to really lean into the benefits of estrogen and what it can do for your system, specifically muscle building, bone density, all that stuff that's important throughout our lifetimes. You're going to want to make sure that if you're doing weightlifting, you're doing heavier lifting during this time, really build that muscle. Your muscle tissue recovers faster, so you can really push yourself harder with workouts and have a great recovery. With nutrition, you're going to still stick with the cooling foods. But again, make sure that if you are pushing yourself harder with the workout, that you're also getting a little more protein to help your system you know, recover from that. Um, yeah, otherwise, it's, it's still great. You're, that body temperature should, should still be lower right up until ovulation happens. Okay. But it's it's usually a, a time of the month where women actually feel the best. Like if you look at the month and you're like, this one week is just, I feel like a powerhouse. Right. It's, it's week two. I, I, well, I can see that. We've just come out of having our periods too, right? So yeah. it's like we kind of go, well, I got three weeks to enjoy this before we kind of goes back. But then we get to week yeah. three. I was going to yeah. say like week three and a half is when you start like midway through that week is when you start to feel yucky again. Yeah. Okay. That's the ovulation's happening. Yeah. So right? okay. yeah, ovulation happens um, about day fourteen, right? So your temperature actually should drop just a little, then spike with ovulation. So for those women that are tracking ovulation or tracking their cycles, you know, using basal body temperature, you'll see that big shift and change, and it can be a degree or more higher for the rest of the month. Then. So when that happens, nutritionally, you're going to switch over and do warming foods. Now warming that food. would be. Yeah. Warming foods are things like beef, bacon, bison, venison, like red meats. Very, very warming. Um, you're going to want to cook your fruits and vegetables. Your digestive system slows down more at this point. So if you try to eat a lot of raw veggies, it's going to get kind of caught in your gut a little bit. So this is know? when you want to steam the steam the broccoli, steam the Brussels yeah. sprouts, steam the carrots, like steam the foods that you're having. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Break down that fibrous component a little bit. It's going to help a ton. Um, and then add in any spices that you want, hot sauce, peppers, all of it, 
really, really warming. Bring that warming component in to everything that you're doing, and that's going to help a ton. Again, you want to keep that basal body temperature high. This is also a big point for women who are um, struggling with fertility at all, or their, you know, their body temperature might rise but then fall again. So that progesterone's not staying up there. So by encouraging that heat, but through your nutrition and everything, you can help your basal body temperature stay higher, really help your system produce and maintain the right amount of progesterone throughout the rest of the cycle, which is important. Absolutely. Oh my God, Beth, I I just did a podcast a a couple weeks ago on uh, the progesterone kit that a lot of women were, yeah, this prove it, the prove test. uh, I had Dr. Amy Beckley on and she was fascinating. Have you had her? I should probably get you guys connected. She was she was fascinating just on us not understanding, you know, that progesterone is like the critical part of knowing you can get pregnant, maintaining the pregnancy, not having the miscarriage. Like I thought it was a fascinating topic. Okay. So we've done have we done week four? Not yet. No, okay, okay, week four. Because I'm looking at yeah. things and I'm like, okay, because I have so much to get to. Okay, so week four. <laughs> Week four. Week four is is still the same thing with the warming foods. Um, The thing that really changes, though, is things with exercise. So your progesterone levels are at their higher point and your estrogen really drops. So you really don't have the same amount of estrogen that you did before, meaning your body has a harder time building, maintaining muscle. Workouts are going to feel very different. This is where if you did like a five-mile run a week or two ago, you would have felt great. You were like, yeah, I'm making awesome time. And now you do that same run and week four and you're like, oh my God, my legs are cement. What is wrong with me? What, what did I do? It's, you didn't do anything. You're just, you're in week four and it's all that progesterone kind of sucks the energy from you a little bit. Um, but you, it's still important to work on movement, mobility, you know, keeping your fluids up, all of that stuff. So so it's funny because as we feel like, oh, you know, usually you're talking to your girlfriends like, I think I'm getting my period, right? That's when you start mm-hmm. to really feel like that, like that downward spiral is like right before you yeah. actually get it. So that's what you're talking about in week four, right? Yeah. Like going for that same run and feeling like sluggish and you start to have these cravings and you start to, to feel like, am I alive? Like the PMS starts to set in yeah. right around then, just before yeah. you're about to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And cravings. And... One of the things women forget about that they don't do before the period starts is that they will think cravings are bad. I shouldn't eat more, but your system actually needs more calorie, more dense nutrients at that point of the cycle that actually helps feed and fuel your system so that you're not going to have cravings then because you're already feeding and fueling your body for what it needs. And, and then you're not having as many negative side effects from it either. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now, can I ask, because I'll go on personal on this one, I would say for like the first 30 years of me having my period, I really didn't have much of a, a reaction. You know, I kind of could flow through it. Yeah, I was, you know, I was that time of month, but I really didn't feel I had bad cramps and I kind of took care of things, but I had to keep up with my busy life. And I'm finding probably in the last year, all mm-hmm. of a sudden I'm starting to notice like I, th- yeah. and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm about to get my period, but things that I hadn't noticed before, like a change in behavior or change in eating. So as we're aging, do we start to feel this more? Like, you know, we could have a 25 year old listening to this and going, ah, I'm good. But you have a 45 year old listening to this and they're going, oh my God, like what's happening to me? I feel like I'm going insane. Is yeah. this normal? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. It is so, so, so normal. You go through different phases of life as well. So um, in my book, I have a whole section that's called the seven bodies of Eve. So I love that you brought this up. Um, 
And it talks about the different bodies that women go through in our lifetime. Men have like two bodies, like like before puberty and And then the dad bod. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Am I allowed to say that? (laughs) Okay. And like we'll rewind that. That Okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And women we go through bodies. Yeah, it's like your your pre-puberty and then after puberty. I mean, it takes a while sometimes for you to figure your cycle out or for your body to regulate on its own. Then you go through different fertility things, then after having kids, your body is totally different, and then getting into your 40s, then 50s, it's totally different, and then it changes again even because the way our systems maintain in terms of um, you know, bone density, muscle density, all that other stuff, as well as our digestive systems change. So much of our systems change throughout our lifetime. So, and hormones have a big impact on that. So as your, as your hormonal health shifts, as you get later in life, like from 25 to 45, that hormonal health is going to impact your other systems more drastically. So you'll notice more brain fog. You'll notice a change in your digestive system more. And that's going to then create a trickle down effect of these other symptoms or issues that you may not have had before because your body just didn't have that phase of that hormonal impact on the rest of your systems. Yeah. As we're as we're aging and going through these different systems, how much harder does and maybe it's the discussions and dialogue I have with my girlfriends, but it's harder to keep off the weight. It's harder to, you know, yeah. do things. Like you you start to feel things just it takes so much more energy and effort to do the same things you were doing 10 15 years ago. So is there yeah. a way for us to battle this? Is there or it's just are we into an acceptance mindset of (laughs) which I refuse to do I'm like I'm gonna fight this I'm going down kicking and screaming you know I love that you know it's I love how you phrase that going into the acceptance mindset I do like this is one of those things that I'm so all for people who accept their bodies as they are and all that other wonderful stuff and I'm like yes totally but you have to realize when things aren't functioning well or they're not at a place where that you want them to be or you know it's it's one thing to say, I don't like my body versus I don't think my body's working right. Mm-hmm. Those are different, right? So as your system changes and those hormones shift and change, you have to change your nutrition. You have to change how you exercise and the amount of rest that you get. That's what impacts then your energy, your vitality, all of those other things so that you actually feel better. We're still eating, you know, women who are in their, you know, say 45, if you're still eating the same, even if it's healthy, even if it's good. But if you're still eating the same way you did when you were 25, you're really missing the key nutrients. You'll need more protein because it takes more protein to do the same job that protein used to do in your system. That's that's interesting because I would think a lot of women would say, oh, I should be eating less or giving themselves smaller portions of certain things because they're thinking, oh, well, I'm getting older. I don't need as much. But that's not the reality. Oh my God, no, no. That's exactly what they're told when they go into the doctor. Ah, I've gained weight, right? Women on average gain anywhere from seven to 10 pounds just going through menopause, the perimenopause phase. And that is, they have not, um, you know, you haven't changed your nutrition, you haven't changed your exercise, your bo- your hormones change, so your body just puts on weight, right? And the most common thing is, well, you just need to eat less and exercise more. But your system doesn't need to just eat less. It needs more protein because the ability for your system to build and maintain muscle tissue, which is the biggest metabolism booster, right? When you have more muscle, your metabolism is higher. So that muscle tissue gets slowly de- you know, slowly cut away at over the years. And if you're not eating enough protein to support that higher amount of muscle tissue, then your body just, it can't do it. 
it needs more. You have to eat more, more protein, maintain the same amount of muscle tissue then to keep your metabolism at a point where it used to be. And what yeah. do we say to the women who have already gone through this? You know, they've gone through, they've gone through menopause. They're no longer in the mm-hmm. menstrual strike. What, what do they have going for them? Like what should they be doing <laughs> other than not having, you know, not menstruating anymore? Yeah. So there is the, you know, there is the blessing and the curse that comes along with that. Um, You don't have to have your period anymore, but it is a different nutritional, you know, game that you're playing. Needing to have more proteins, your body also processes carbohydrate differently. So uh, making sure you're getting a good blend of carbohydrates, but not too much. Um, It's really easy to misjudge the amount of carbs too. So if you're increasing your protein and getting your proteins in, awesome. The next thing to look at would be your carbs, making sure you're getting, you know, fruit as well as, you know, like complex carbs. I can't believe how many women I talk to that they're like, I'm terrified of fruit. I'm I'm afraid to eat fruit. Yeah, I'm afraid to eat fruit. I'm afraid it's going to make me fat. If I cut out fruit, I can lose a few pounds. But it's, you know, again, you're, you're looking at that simple sugar and the fruit and it's like it's not the fruit right like eating a banana isn't going to make you fat it's all of your nutrition together working together to help support the body that you're in and the phase of life that you're in so with the proteins being there having that good balance of carbohydrate is going to fuel your you're going to have a ton of energy because that's the other thing that women decrease in their energy it's because they cut out and cut down those carbs and sugars so it makes it harder to function yeah it's so interesting just to see this, you know, and, you're, and, you know, hopefully as people are listening, especially the women, you know, you've got, see where you are in these seven different bodies of Eve that you've kind of listed yeah. here and knowing each of them. So you have this information broken down. Which one of those books were you mentioning with the, that kind of... The female fat solution. The female fat solution. Interesting. And then I'm looking at some of the topics that I want to get to. So as we are kind of still in this reproductive and we're talking about menopause and so forth, there are a lot of women who've had hysterectomies. So, you know, and I noticed that was one of the the podcast topics that you had. So I remember my mom had one. I think she was 46, 45, 46 when she had hers. And she had a ton of, you know, fibroids and stuff. But I remember she had like... And she had like a a breast, right? Like they were like tiny. And then all of a sudden she has like double D's, you know, like it was like what happened. But it was after the process of the hysterectomy that everything changes. Like should there's a lot that goes with that, taking away that big structure and and no longer having that The body changes drastically. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes. So the 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 tough thing about going through hysterectomies is that they recommend it's like an end game thing. Like they're, you know, they're, they're looking at the wrong piece of the puzzle there, right? Women will have fibroids, although they'll, they'll have really bad endometriosis or something like that and think, oh, well, the problem is in the uterus. So let's just take out the uterus. Well, the problem didn't start in the uterus. The problem is with your hormones and how your liver can process those excess hormones, metabolize them and process them out of your system. They get built up and then it has that negative effect where it builds up fibroids and other things in your uterus and in that tissue, in that reproductive tissue. So when you just remove the uterus, you know, you're, you know, finding a very quick and fast solution. Your uterus hurts, let's just take it out. There you go. But you still have the hormonal imbalance thing happening, which then usually leads to other issues in the female body. So a lot of women that will have had a hysterectomy still have a lot of hormonal issues. 
you know, the weight gain that they can't lose, the breast size that will change. Absolutely. Um, sometimes they'll still go through and have hot flashes. They'll have some brain fog like they've never had before. And it's because the hormonal issue is still in their system and hasn't been dealt with. How often should women get their hormones tested or have an understanding of what's happening in their bodies? Like, is yeah. is being educated and being on top of it beneficial? I don't think I actually know what, where my hormone levels are. No clue. <laughs> I, have, I have no clue what the base point of it should be or where they're even at. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's a really, you know, tough thing. Most women are like, well, I'm doing okay. Or I got my period and I can, uh, it's going to last a few days, then I'll move beyond it. Then I'll be fine. There we go. Right. But if you're, you know, watching a little bit more tracking or using your nutrition or your exercise to your advantage during your cycle, then you have a little bit more of a pulse on what's going on. And then when something changes or if something changes, you'll be really fast to act on it. You'll know exactly where, you know, where it's off. Um, Cause there's a lot of women that are like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I went this long in my life and I didn't have problems for years. And then all of a sudden it gets really, really bad. Right. And then when it gets really, really bad, you're trying to play all this catch up. So, you know? so knowing where your baseline is when you're mm-hmm. feeling good and you, you know, it's almost like go get tested when you have your baseline of, you know, understanding yeah. where you are when you feel good and know what those yeah. numbers look like so that when you start to have issues or things aren't feeling right, you actually can see where it's changing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And not that you need to get your tested, hormones tested all the time. My no, favorite test yeah. is the Dutch test. Okay. I was going to ask um, you, that's on my drug list. Drug. That was like my next thing. Like what? Okay. What's the Dutch hormone testing? Yeah. Um, I mean, you can get your blood levels tested, but the blood levels only test what's free flowing in the blood. The reason I like the Dutch test is it actually tests the active and inactive forms of the hormone. So for a lot of women, for example, that'll have um, like cortisol changes throughout the day. This is an easy one. Like your cortisol levels should be higher in the morning and then slowly drop throughout the day. But if you get a blood test that just says, oh, here's your total cortisol. Oh, look, it's within normal. You're fine. But you feel like, oh, I feel like I can't wake up in the morning. It takes me forever. I'm not feeling good throughout the day. And then I get really wound up and I can't sleep at night. And there's this whole set phase that's it's just weird. Something's off. And then you look at your cortisol levels and they're low in the morning and high at night. Well, yeah, the total number is normal, but the pattern is totally off. You know, that's what we're looking at then when we're looking at a Dutch test is are the active, inactive, how these hormones are processed through your body, are they normal or not? And where exactly is the problem? And then you know exactly where to target your treatment. So is this a test that's normally given? Do you have to ask, you know, how does one get this? Yeah, so you can order it. Um, it's typically not offered at a regular, like, doctor's office. My regular clinic doesn't offer it. Um, so you have to find a physician that does it. I, you know, do Dutch testing. There's a lot of other practitioners. Dutch has a great website where they go through okay. a lot of information, too. Yeah. So if women are willing to make the investment and in wanting to understand this better, make the, yes. make the investment, go through, even go through the, the Dutch hormone testing website. And so is it something mm-hmm. that it's like they'll send you a kit almost kind yep. of thing? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's so great. They send it right to your house. That gives you the instructions. You take the test, send it in. There you go. Okay. Learn something on that one. I had no idea. But I think yeah. I'm going to have more of an idea as the years kind of click in. <laughs> oh, this is yeah. what everyone was talking about. One of the things that I that I thought too, and and I don't know if it's you know as 
people are aging, but the power of physical touch, that was something that, that you had touched on. And I know even when I see my mother-in-law, and unfortunately my, my father-in-law passed away uh, you know, almost 20 years ago, just when you give her a hug or when there's touch, you, you sense like her whole body just kind of relaxes in, right? Because you realize the importance of, of touch when people haven't been touched frequently. Yeah. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, yes. So what's so fascinating, I think, about the human body is that we're just this big meat sack of chemicals, you know, that just get, you know, set off from different things. And touch is one of them. So when you embrace somebody, you know, for 30 seconds, your body releases oxytocin, which is a super powerful chemical in your system. And and with the society we live in, and especially nowadays, even in schools, kids don't get touched, you know, if you come from a family or if they're in a family situation where they don't get touched, you know, or hugged at home and then they go to school, teachers can't touch kids. The kids aren't supposed to touch each other, all this other stuff. It's a, it's a thing, you know, losing a sense of touch, physical touch with people. Yes. Yes. So is it for what should people be doing and why is it something that we need to be aware of? Yeah. Um, so, of course, having like a safe, you know, face to <laughs> talk. I just, somebody told me that there's like a whole question of like snugglers or something. Have you heard of this? I, you know People what? I actually, I actually remember when I was hosting the morning show, we did a segment that there was like professional huggers and they, and, and they do, they were going to people's homes and snuggling. And, and, and at first I thought it was the most bizarre story. And then as I, understood it more the people who are lacking and don't have physical touch what it can do for them and so it started out as like oh my god here's a funny segment we have to show you and then by the end of the segment I was like I mean I get it but I I get it yeah it's it's weird that you know what do you do for a living I'm a professional snuggler huggler but (laughs) the service that you're offering people who who lack it it didn't seem so out of whack right yeah yeah, because that's so true. I mean, if you have somebody in your life or, you know, uh, you know, kids where you touch and cuddle and hug them, that you get that physical touch, you get that human connection, you get that release of positive endorphins and hormones and everything in your body. But if you don't, you know, the body doesn't survive as well. It just doesn't. You know, they did that. Um, what was it? Oh, my gosh. I can't remember now how long ago it was where they had babies and they didn't touch them and all the babies died. You know what I'm talking about? No, this is like in Russia or something like that, like in the 1850s or something like that. There was some dude who was like, I want to see what I'm going to do experiments on babies. So they took all these like orphan babies and it was like 50 babies and then put them on an island with one or two nurses to take care of them. And they were only allowed to like feed them and change them, but touch them minimally. They weren't allowed to touch or cuddle the babies and all the babies died within like three months. Yeah. (sighs) Crazy, right? Like that, which, yeah, that's, that's a thing. I might be off a little bit on my details. No, I know, but, but I'm, essentially the, I'm the just outcome letting that soak in for a second. Yeah, just like, it's, it's horrific. It's like a horrific thing that happened. But, um, but that's how powerful it is for people. So if that happens with babies, if babies die when they don't get touched, the same thing, the same negative effects happen to your system without positive touch. So is it holding uh, a hand for longer, holding an embrace for longer. And I mean, we're not, it doesn't need to be a a sexual 
It's we're not talking right. a sexual touch or, you know, you need to keep up your, you know, your weekly kind of check in on the calendar that you're keeping it up. Right. This isn't yeah. what we're talking about. Oh, no, no, like, no, that's, yeah, that's another thing. Put it on your calendar, make sure you're get your me time in, get your cuddle time in. No. <laughs> most, most people are putting it in a calendar. Let's be realistic. It's like, when, <laughs> when is there a free time? Why are the kids asleep? You know, yeah. like, this is our window right here yeah. and in two weeks time at this time. Yeah. And that's I know so people funny. are listening and going, yeah, I kind of, yeah, that's us too. Yeah. I'm not totally so off, totally off whack here. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, it's, you're right, though, like when you said even holding hands, even holding hands, getting some type of physical touch, you know, that the closer like hugs are the best because you're getting that full embrace and that full, you know, connection. Um, But again, even having, you know, a, a hand on an arm, you know. That's that's still some type of physical touch and connection. That's very powerful. Was yeah. it was it interesting to be able to do in a, in a podcast on this topic? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And I've worked for, I've been a massage therapist for, I don't know, 15 years now or so. So I've had a lot of experience with people with touch and some of it, you know, like uh, traumatizing, you know, if they've been traumatized or, you know, of some kind that that can take them through a whole process too. But it's, it's amazing. It's emotional. Like, I would think, you yeah. know, I'm sure you would have been giving massages and all of a sudden it's just like, like weep, like emotions come out through it. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was one of the, um, one lady who, you know, it's just her story. So, so hard to go through, but she was, you know, tied down by the wrists and everything and ankles and, you know, bad stuff happened. And she, wanted to be able to move past it and part of it. So I, you know, we'd have to rub her wrists and rub her and she would have these emotional breakthroughs for having just her wrists and ankles rubbed, you know, and to go through that release of having a safe, healthy touch on those areas that was had, that had restrained her when she was brutalized, you know, and everything. Yeah. I just want to hold space for this woman for a second. Oh yeah. Okay. I, but I, but I, you know, the example and showing people what is able to, what well, happens. It's, yeah. So powerful though. And coming through that, that's a big piece of it where people, um, you know, I feel like when you're on your own healing path, when you're, even when your body is like showing some type of dysfunction, you know, when it's not working right, or you're not feeling good in your body, we tend to shut down, right? We tend to block off from other people and feel like, no, I don't, I don't want to be touched or something's wrong with me. So people shouldn't touch me, which is the opposite of what we should be doing. We should be embracing more and getting more of that in our lives to help the healing process. Hmm. This is one of the topics. And I mentioned, you know, like you've had, you've had a number of them when you're getting up in the day between the podcast and the books and the clients that you have, what, what is your main mission now? I mean, it started with you going to the hospital and the doctor telling you to go home and take, you know, and start taking birth control when you had three kids and your husband had had, you know, vasectomy and you're like, no, it's not an option. Like, what is the daily mission for you in, in helping women and where you'd like to see this go? Yes, I, I, I just want to keep educating women on more on how your bodies work and function, how it is totally normal for it to shift and change throughout the month, and that you can do things differently throughout the month to align with where your system is at to work with your body and stop fighting it, right? Like so many women will go on a diet with their husband and they'll follow it 100%, right? 
And the husband is like, well, I'm sort of doing it, but he loses, you know, 10 pounds and you're struggling to take off two. And it's because you're not leaning in, you're following a diet that's meant for a man, right? You go to the gym and you do a workout that's made for a guy. So of course their process going through it is so different. So just learning more about our systems, learning how we can align our lifestyle with our bodies to really get the most out of it. You know, not that it's good or bad or whatever, it's just different. And that aligning with that just changes everything and changes our how we feel about ourselves and then our production and, and everything. I, I'm going to hopefully not put you on the spot, but what would be like the top five things that you think every woman, woman needs to be doing to be on top of her health? Yes. I love it. Okay. <laughs> um, lifting weights. I think women are terrified to lift heavier weights and... Even if you're lifting once a week, you're still going to be maintaining muscle. And that's so key for later in life for health. Um, Making sure that you are tracking hormones, tracking your body so you know where you're at. And then, you know, the third thing would be aligning your nutrition and even just fueling your body differently throughout the month is really key. Um, Hydration, giving your body the right amount of hydration. A lot of women don't realize that your body needs more uh, minerals, in that second half in weeks three and weeks four because of the progesterone your body actually can't upload hydration the same so we're we're drinking water drinking water yet still feeling like oh i'm bloated or i'm oh i'm not feeling good yeah i should just drink more water well you're not actually getting that hydration by adding minerals and electrolytes your system can get that hydration changes so much stuff for women okay how are they getting the minerals in fact i I love my podcast because I learned so much information, but I had a guest on a couple months ago. And so, and I really started to do it because I actually don't drink water, but she's like, the one thing you're going to do is you're going to wake up in the morning and I would make it at night. I would put in Himalayan salts. I'd sprinkle the Himalayan salts into the water with a thing of, with a slice of lemon and lemon juice. And at room temperature, I would, I'm getting up in the morning and that's, I I drink that before I get out of bed. It is and. I honestly, I feel the difference. It's the only glass of water I have all day, but at least I've gone, I'm, I'm there. I actually started doing that. So is that the minerals? Is that something that you're talking about putting that? That's what yeah. we're adding to the water. Okay. So where yeah. else? Salts or minerals okay. um, or magnesium, calcium, things like that. Yeah. Just to add to the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't just a little bit, not a lot. It's, it's not a lot. It's just a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So if you are having the water, add the minerals. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, crazy difference. Um, with that. And then um, the last thing would be allowing yourself the proper amount of rest time and the rest time that your system needs, because that also changes throughout the month. There are some times where your body feels like it bounces back and you're not as sore or anything else. And then there's other points of the, of the month where you need more sleep, you need more rest. And when you honor that for your system, holy cow, it's totally, totally different. You're, you're, you're just going to feel way better because you're getting the rest that you need. Oh, this is awesome. Okay, so we've got all of those kind of t- tips, tricks. I think I've, I mean, I, hopefully. Did I miss out on anything like critical as I'm looking at the clock because it's like counting me down to the hour? <laughs> like, what else can I squeeze in in like two minutes time? Did I miss anything? I don't think so. I mean, we. Co- I feel like we covered a lot. I know. I know. Like all over the board, talking about pregnancy and menopause and 
hugs, yeah, snuggles. <laughs> Scheduled sex. It. Yeah, we're, we're, we're good. I think we're, we're getting there. Uh, okay, so where can people find more information? I mentioned the podcast and, you know, the book. So yeah. are some, of, some of the information that you mentioned, is it online? I mean, I've, I've gone to your website. People can go. They'll see a lot of the blogs. They'll see a ton of the podcasts. It's, it's like a wealth of information over there. Yes. Yeah. I have a ton of content out there. Um, so I do videos. I do Facebook videos. So I'm on Facebook. It's Dr. Beth Westy, uh, Instagram, Dr. Beth Westy. And then my YouTube channel is Dr. Beth Westy. So all the videos I do where I talk about things specifically, they're shorter clips of something. So if you're looking for something on fibro, you know, or endo or something, you know, whatever it is, I've done a video on it. It's on my YouTube. Um, and then I also, I have a free cookbook, a recipes for your cycle cookbook so that you can get on my website, which is just drbethwesty.com. So you can download that and wherever you're at, if you're like, oh, I think I'm about to start my period, what would be a great recipe for me? There's going to be snacks, dinner, breakfast, all of it in there. Oh, awesome. Okay. So that recipes for your cycle yep. is available to you free on your website. Yeah. And I want to let people know it's, it's Beth, but Westy is spelled W-E-S-T-I-E. DrBethWesty.com. I I, honestly, I think people will be like, okay, let's really check this out to see about these weeks and the cycle and the food. And I I think it's fascinating. Uh And I hadn't, you know, I kind of knew, but not as much as I've totally learned from you today. But I think people will will track this. I think they'll start paying a little bit more attention. And especially too, if they have an ability to go make some recipes with either their hot, with the warm, with the warm foods and the cooling foods. Yeah, it yeah. makes it makes a ton of sense. I so appreciate this. Thank you so much. So people can find more drbethwesty.com. And from there, you'll have links to the YouTube. You'll have links to the podcast. You'll have uh, mm-hmm. links to everything. So really appreciate it. It was such a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Okay, awesome. And for everyone who's listening, thanks once again for sharing, for liking, for commenting, for sharing, especially with your girlfriends, with your friends to say you've got to listen to these podcasts. They're awesome. There's so much information. Really appreciate you uh, doing that and sharing and helping to get uh, Living Your Life with Leanne Lang growing and uh, having people talk about it as well. So have a great day to everyone. We'll see you next time. It's said that the more time you have to invest, the greater the return. Well, guess what? Kids have the most time if we learn to invest early. That's why I created the Cash Kid Podcast, where I teach kids and some adults financial skills they need to know on how to earn, save, and invest their money. Join me on this journey as we interview experts and explore topics that allow you to grow your money as kids. This podcast will help you become the money expert among your family and friends. Just remember, anyone can be a Cash Kid. You just have to learn how to become one. Get ready to grow your financial knowledge and your wallet with the Cash Kid Podcast.